right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast, sponsored by IcarusFC.com and Roughneck Scarves. This is episode number 293, and with that number, we'll give a shout-out to Brooke Elby. She retired from NWSL at the end of last season. She's now the co-executive director with Yael Overbush for the NWSL Players Association. A pretty big job, very important deal. Elby retired having played 2,930 regular season minutes in her NWSL career, having played with Boston, Utah, and Chicago. All right, two chats in this episode to kind of preview the NWSL Challenge Cup that at long last kicks off this Saturday in Utah. First game being, of course, North Carolina Courage versus Portland Thorns. So I spoke first to Neil Morris from WRALsportsfan.com in North Carolina. He's been covering the Courage since the team launched in 2017. We talked about how, you know, they have the fewest roster changes among all the teams in the tournament, and they are so well-suited for, for tournament play. And then I caught up with Tyler Wynn from Rose City Review, a great coverage of the Portland Thorns. We talked about how the players for Portland, the players in the background, will probably be more significant in this tournament than they've ever had an opportunity to be. And then in between the two chats will be the Jen's Plane segment. This week, I go over the tournament roster rules and the tiebreakers. All right. Enjoy. All right. Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Neil Morris from WRALsportsfan.net. Did I get it right, Neil? Is it .net or .com? It's a com. It's the com.com from North Carolina. Neil, of course, covering the North Carolina Courage. So, Neil, I, I had to get you on because finally it seems like we're going to have some end action this weekend. And, and it feels like two years ago when you and I last talked, because I think also we were previewing the season back in March. Um, yeah. So now it's it's a whole different ball game. We've got a tournament. In Utah, each team going to play four games, of course, with the news today that Orlando's pulling out. Not sure yet how the schedule's going to change, but I would think be a little bit easier with just eight teams, right? Then you don't have to have a bye week. But, but to start off, Neil, give me just your thoughts on this tournament, the format as we know it, you know, what you think it means for a club like North Carolina. Well, I don't, you know, the truth is I don't know what to think of this tournament. And by the way, that uncertainty grows by the day, as you alluded to during your opening. I mean, about the time we're settling in and we're thinking, all right, we're going to get, we got roster rules and we're going to get r- rosters themselves. And then we've got a game on CBS on Saturday, which, I mean, I guess we still do, uh, between the Courage and the Thorns. And then all of a sudden things get turned upside down. And now we don't know who's playing who win. Um, in regards to the tournament itself, you know, I, I think the consensus is that this, I mean, this is going to be the season. I, I, you know, I don't, there's not going to be another season for NWSL this year, uh, other than this, this tournament. Um, you know, for the most part, I was glad that they were getting together to play. Uh, I think it would have been tragic, uh, to lose an entire year. Um, but I've been back and forth on it. And then, then there's sometimes when I wonder, well, what are we doing this for other than, you know, and this is not a small thing, but other than, you know, to say the, the new sponsors and the new TV deals that the league is, is put together, which is not a small thing, but right. You know, the, the, these, these, but these, but, and that's fine from a league point of view, but these, you know, it's not like there's another alternative, so I'm not going to bellyache about it too much. But at the end of the day, you know, these teams rely on local gate and local fans, and that's not going to happen this year. And, and right. you, know, you know, I don't think the league, you know, we always think the league was on the verge of busting out, and that probably wasn't going to happen this year, just as it doesn't ever happen any year. But it does feel like with with the with the new commissioner and maybe building on some impetus that would have maybe tied into the before and after the Olympics that it felt like maybe we were getting to some sort of breakthrough and then you know like a lot of sports you know the world changes and so 
I get the tournament was the best option uh, available. So from that point of view, you know, for the most part, I was on board with it. Today's news, I, I must admit, has chastened me a little bit, mainly just because of the sheer stupidity of many people on many levels. Uh, but but that, regardless, you know, I hopefully hopefully nothing else derails this, and we can actually see some soccer for a month. From the courage point of view, you know, you would like to think that a team in their position will be like, you know, we'll show up, we'll play. We've won three state straight supporter shields. We won two straight championships. If we win this tournament, it's great. If we don't, we that, that's fine too. But that ain't their attitude. That's never the courage <laughs> attitude. By every indication, while everything is burning down and teams are withdrawing and schedule rosters are being delayed, by all indications, what I can tell from the, reading the tea leaves is that the, the team and the coaches and the players are champing at the bit. They're ready to go play. Uh, I think Paul Riley, as you would expect, has gotten his team ready to chew through nails. And, you know, and, and, and there's reasons why a lot of people think, well, maybe in a one-off tournament where things are all screwed up, this is when the Courage might not win. And it's true, they may not. Things happen, especially, you know, when you have rules like, yeah, you know, there's no extra time, and you go straight to PKs and that sort of thing. But when I actually sit back and count up the objective factors, yes, strange things could happen, and we can talk about this in a, more in a minute. But when you tick off the the boxes, not only should the Courage win this, I think they have advantages in this tournament that other teams don't. Like I think they have a better chance of winning this tournament than they've had to win this championship in years past. Do you think uh, one of those advantages is having played in the, the ICC the last two years and so knowing what it's like to have that two knockout games within four days or just the, the depth well, of the roster? 100 percent uh that's one of like four or five factors um but yes i think well there's two things one is having played the uh, the icc in kind of a mid-season cup the last two years against top caliber competition uh and oh by the way they've also been in the nwcl championship for this team has at least for the last four straight years so this team is is quite used to one-off knockout competition. Yes, yes. And, and so, so if you count up the ICCs and the championships, I mean, what is that? Six knockout tournaments in four years. So, yeah, I think. The, the, the four, <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I. I yeah. And, and, but but more so than that, they are ready. That there is, and Paul Riley sort of alluded to this when he was asked on local radio a week or so ago about this tournament. There's a dearth of opportunities for teams around this league to play in in competitions like this. Right. Uh, If you don't make the playoffs in advance, which only four teams even make it and only two teams get to the championship, and so far only one team has played in the women's ICC, there's not these opportunities for teams around the league. So the Courage come in having played six knockout tournaments in four years. Meanwhile, I mean, of course, Portland has played their share of, of playoff matches. Chicago has been in their share. Other than that, what has the rest of the league done? Uh, and so I think that gives them an advantage from from a competitive uh, experience standpoint, too. Yeah, it's it, it's a different way to think of the haves and have-nots, right? Like who's got that experience in the, in their bag of tricks and, and, and who doesn't. And, you know, you can't buy that experience, right? Like it's just having been through that a, a, as a team multiple times just makes you stronger and stronger. It kind of reminds me of something uh, Roy Dame said after the final last fall is that, you know, just felt that they weren't mentally totally there for the final, right? That they had, you know, perhaps used all of their mental energies on winning the semi. And, right? they had, and they weren't used to being there. They didn't. Right, right. We were, and we were there. You know, they were, there was all these, 
uh, second guessing and thinking, overthinking where you practice, when you practice, and who could watch you, who can't watch you. And they just got in, they got in their own heads. Uh, and then because they, and Rory admitted, we weren't ready for this environment. We weren't used to it. And he said that. So, you know, that interview that Paul Riley gave last week, he, he said, of course, you can't, you know, the schedule doesn't allow you to do everything you want to do every year. But, he, you know, his proposal was we should be playing a cup competition like this every year but so to give these teams a chance to do this. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I totally agree with that. Well, and... You know, talking about like 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 you said, you know, we don't need to poo-poo the format or say it should have been like whatever. I I think, you, you know, you're right saying that this looked like it could be a breakout year. We were riding a nice momentum from the 2019 Women's World Cup. Uh, you know, new commissioner, CBS deal coming into the Olympics, and then everything stopped. Um, and I think it's. I don't think it should be surprising to people that NWSL is poised to be the first league back when you only have nine clubs, you can be pretty nimble, right? That you could actually have all your players on a Zoom call uh, for the Players Association to discuss you know, the tournament with, with the league, it's, it's doable, right? That, that you have an owner in Utah that can say, Hey, I've got access to two private jets or something like that. So I can make sure that all teams get here without having to fly charter. Right? right. Like, like, you know, where I can't imagine the logistics of what NBA is trying to do or even what MLS is trying to do. Right. Like MLS's tournament at this point is more than three times the size yeah. of what, of what NWSL is doing. So fingers crossed, everything goes smoothly from this point on. It seems like the aggressive testing is part of what, you know, led to uh, Orlando having to with- withdraw that, you know, it, they made it pretty clear that no player can leave her home market uh, if she tests positive. So, you know, I, I, I guess in the big picture, it's better that they know now and Orlando doesn't go and hopefully the all, uh, you know, the other eight teams get there and no problems. Yeah. Um, but looking at uh, the rosters, as I've been, you know, preparing to cover this tournament, um, even though we don't have our official rosters at this point yet, still North Carolina has had the least turnover uh, among all of the NWSL clubs. Um, not that anybody should be surprised. Still had... Obviously, a big loss with Hale's retirement. Other than that, the changes have been pretty minor. Uh, but tell me what you know about the question mark that is still Merritt Mathias. Because since, you know, we had this big shutdown and teams haven't posted much about training, it's like I, I don't even have a sense of where she is in her recovery. And to be honest, I don't really either. I suspect she's training, but if I if I if I could hazard my guess, and again, I thought maybe there was a chance that because the target her target return, even as 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 distant as last you know last uh, October, was that she would be back in June. So there was some thought, uh, at least on my part, that well, if her rehab's gone well, this might be a perfect opportunity to kind of you know her in you know get get her a game or two uh let let her you know maybe this would actually help a little bit on the rehab level uh but but it appears they they've taken the other tack that they decided that this tournament is not worth throwing her back in without any kind of prolonged training or or scrimmages or something like that so that's probably the wise choice um you know, you hit on on factors two and three with this question to why the courage should have more of an advantage. Uh, one, they have a deep, talented roster, uh, and more so. Well, than I a thought lot that just went without saying. <laughs> well, but, it does, but, but when you it does, but when you talk about a compressed. And again, we don't know what the format is going to be now, but a compressed tournament with four four lead up games and then you know some knockout playoff games all in a month's time, the teams that tend to do well are the ones who are the most fit, which the courage are, 
and right. have the most and have the most depth, which the courage do. I mean, the courage, the courage when they when they separate from the rest of the league in regular season competition, it's always that. August, you know, July, August, September time when you start having midweek games and back-to-backs, you know, three in a week. Right. The rest that there's always a you know there are there's always teams within within striking distance of of the courage, and then you have about two weeks, you know, two out of three weeks of three games in a week, and at the end of that span, the courage have have put distance between the rest of the league because, and I've seen it, they can roll out a full strength squad or something close to it every game. There's not a lot of rotation that they need to do, and if they do, they have really good people on the bench to fill to fill the gaps. The other teams in the league don't have that same level of, of normally of fitness and, and depth, and so they have to. These teams that come in on a Wednesday to carry have to uh, meter their talent. They have to sit players for the next weekend. They have to make hard decisions. Meanwhile, the Courage are just flying up and down the field, and so. So, you know, they pick up an easy three points. And so that's kind of what I see a little bit, you know, again, notwithstanding what the format may change to now. But that's kind of what I see here is where you're going to have a lot of teams playing a lot of games in a short amount of time. And what team is best suited for that? Well, I think we know uh, from both a depth, <laughs> and a, a, a depth and a fitness point of view. The other aspect that I don't think – and this is this is – probably fodder for a deeper discussion. I think, number one, you talked about a consistent roster. These teams in the league have not played since last fall. Uh, right. The, the teams that are going to be playing no well... No preseason matches at all. None. And the teams that are going to do well are the ones that can conjure the most chemistry the quickest. The the courage already have it. It's built in. It's baked in. They do have some new pieces, so that's going to be interesting to see how they integrate folks like Haley Mason, Allie Watt, and Haley Harbison, who didn't play last year with the team. So there's going to be a, there is some change. They don't have Matthias any during the tournament. They, McCall Zerboni is gone, so there is going to be some change. But the core, you know, six, seven, eight, nine starters are still there. So they don't have the upheaval that even a team, you know, the first game is Portland. I don't know what we're going to see from Portland. We could see a team rebuilding. We could see a new team emerging. I don't know. They, you know, you know, Parsons out and out said, we, this, we realized we can't catch the courage. We have to revamp our team. Uh, and so they got rid of some stalwarts. They brought in a couple of really young uh, players, picked up Rocky Rodriguez. I don't know what we're going to see from, from Portland, but right, I, right. but I know, but I know one thing, I know that they haven't played together. Uh, <laughs> you know, Chicago's got, you know, Chicago has a, a very consistent roster, but they don't have Sam Kerr. Well, how is that going to f- flesh out? So there's a lot of change that, that teams around the league have been forced to make because, well, in large part because of the courage. Uh, but they haven't had time to sort of get that going. And if if these teams have to take a game or two to f- to find their chemistry while the courage are just doing their thing, then that's another advantage. Yeah, I th- I think the low turnover on the roster is huge. Plus that built-in chemistry, right? Uh, not just from one really strong season, but several really strong seasons. And then against the fact that almost everyone else has had pretty high turnover and and no opportunity to gel on the field other other than practice. I mean, one of the things that I've thought about is the teams that will do well in this tournament are the ones that have handled the lockdown the best in those intangibles. Um, like, you know, how well the coach 
interacted with players via Zoom, right? Or just how, how they manage the lockdown. Um, and that's, it's such an unknown, right? All of this that we're going through is unprecedented. So you can't say, well, last time someone did this and it worked really well, right? You just, every, each team is making it up as, as, as they go along. Yeah. Um, we also have, uh, you know, the first rounds on turf. Um, it is a amazingly new, nice, fancy turf facility. So, so I'm not bringing up turf as like, oh my God, it's turf. But the game is different on turf in terms of, you know, how the ball acts, right? Um, and the cleats you wear, right? So do you think that affects uh, the North Carolina game much? You know, the, the, you, I think most people from afar would say, well, it may help them because if it's faster, that helps the courage. But I, I've seen the courage play on turf. And it's, I mean, it, I guess the first thing is they don't ever practice on turf. I mean, it's all grass and carry, although it's it's very well manicured and probably as close to turf as you can get for grass fields, both practice and game. But, yeah, the, the courage of typically not, I mean, other than Portland, but that's a different kind of turf. The, 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 the courage have not done that well on traditional turf, uh, at least not in the last three years. When, they have, when they've had to go to play in Seattle back when that was there or mm-hmm. any, of the, any of the other, you know, Boston when they were playing, it, it, it was – they had a hard time kind of adjusting to the bounces and to, and to the skids and to the speeds. Uh, and – I, for whatever reason, I don't think it suits them. Now, I'm sure Paul Riley would disagree with that. I know he was asked about turf fields recently, and <laughs> I think he just wanted to take a dig at Portland. And he said, "Oh, you know, we all we've all played on turf. That's just people making excuses." You know, <laughs> you know I, don't, I, I don't know what I think it was. I don't know what Portland's complaining about, but you know, something like that. So, um, I, I think he's just trying to poo-poo it and and take the position that everybody's going to be playing on the same thing. But, um, I, you know, I, I the, the courage just play better on grass for whatever reason. Maybe it's because that's what they're used to practicing, practicing on. But, um, and, and, and I'll tell you what gives them real fits on turf is when these teams play these long bang ball forwards that take high bounces with the courage's back line because the courage like to press forward and, Sometimes their their center backs can get stuck on an island, and these teams that play a long ball and just hope the ball takes a weird bounce and gets in behind the defenders. Sometimes that gives them fits. So if if people decide that's a strategy they want to adopt, that that could that could be a wild card. And with such a consistent roster coming back, I mean, do you see any tweaks in the lineup or? I mean, really, is it just a question about who who takes that outside back spot that Heather O'Reilly filled in for after Matthias was injured? So this is both rank speculation and a replay <laughs> of a discussion that I had on another podcast yesterday. But and that's it, okay because not everybody listens to the other podcast, right? They, they don't. And <laughs> if if I'm right about this, then I want to be able to crow about it. Uh, and the other <laughs> disclaimer is that I have not spoken to Paul Riley about any of this. Um, I did, he did give an interview where with I think it was Jeff with Jeff Kasuf where he hinted that he might want to tinker with another formation in addition to the box. Now, usually I I chalk those things up as to Paul just trying to keep everybody on their toes, uh, and that could very well be what's going on here, but. But so here's my thought process, Jen. First, you know, my philosophy is go with what's worked. Go with the box. You've, you're, you've got the personnel for it. Nobody's figured it out. You can plug and play it right back. Uh, and I think the most likely candidates right now are either Haley Harbison, who the team really liked until she tore her ACL in the late preseason last year, and she rehabbed, right. very, she rehabbed very well and apparently is doing well in preseason this year. So I think they, you know, they, they brought her back, and I think they feel like that she is a, is a, is a possible contributor. Uh, the other possibilities, I mean, Riley has floated Kari Ricaro at right back. We'll see. Uh, Ryan Williams is always a possibility. She's been around two or three years now as a, as a utility player. 
Uh, I think some people think Haley Mays is a possibility, and she is a possibility because I think it's a place she could play. But I think Paul Riley got one look in preseason of of Haley's Mace's boot and fell in love with her in the attacking position. And I think he's going to look for any way to get her far afield if he can. And that, and so that leads to my rank speculation. <laughs> Paul, Bring it on. All, all, all common sense and everything aside, Paul keeps he keeps wanting the team to be able to change formations from time to time to to mess the other team up and keep them on their confused. And he's he's always wanted to find a way to get a, a three back into his rotation. He he likes it. I hate it. Every time they've tried to do it, and they haven't really done it since 2017, and it didn't work out well when they tried it. He's acquired personnel from time to time, hoping to integrate it, and it just either hasn't worked or, frankly, the team's played so well in the box, it's been kind of silly to try to do anything else. And you've got two great fullbacks, so why mess around with, with, with that system? Well, if Matthias is going to be out and you're going to be going with someone inexperienced or at least not as experienced at the right back, I wonder whether Paul is considering, at least in some circumstances, trotting out of the three back, perhaps Ursig, Dahlkamper, and Daniels in the back. And what that does, it eliminates his decision-making at the right-back position, but it also gives him an extra midfielder or forward instead of the – you've got the standard six of Williams, McDonald, Dabinia, Dunn, Mewis, O'Sullivan. Well, now, with, with that lineup, you would have Hamilton on the bench, Mace on the bench, Allie Watt on the bench – well, now if you run a three back, you can find a way to get at least one of them into the lineup too. And I would think Paul would rather have that than leaving those three on the bench and putting someone else at right back. That's my thought process. I hope I'm wrong, but I can see how that might be enticing to him just given everything I've heard over the last few years. Well, and I'm glad you brought up um, Allie Watt because, you know, she was their uh, first round draft pick this year. Um, and so rare, you know, that North Carolina has high draft picks, of course. Um, thoughts on Allie Watt? I like her a lot. Uh, I, I'm, I was at the draft in Baltimore, and my my cram session of draft prep the night before, looking at videos of people I hadn't looked at, I said, who is this player? Uh, I know the courage, you know, weeks before the draft were high on Morgan Weaver and, and Taylor Cornegate. They really like those two. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think everybody else fell in love with them, too, and they end up going two and three. So I think going into Baltimore, the Courage knew they weren't going to get those two players. Uh, I know that when it came time for them to pick, you know, if you remember, they called a timeout. I think right. because they were, they were talking to Orlando and Utah, who had the next two picks under them to see if they, either one of those play, teams wanted to jump up. And because I don't think the, the the courage were especially felt pressed to pick a player, and I think they thought Watt was very talented, but they also thought that she was like other players they already had on the roster, and that she didn't add any new dimension. My position is, and I think Paul Riley has now come to the realization that she is immensely talented and immensely fast and immensely skilled. And I think the the courage got cornered into taking her, and it's probably the the best forced draft pick they they've had, in, in my opinion. I know that Paul Riley was a little irked that she went to Australia. I don't think that was totally with the team's blessing, uh, and that might have created a little bit of a rift if the season had started on time, but it didn't. And so she's had essentially, a, you know, it's full of a preseason as everybody else. And the last comments that I heard from Paul Riley, and I know I know Paul speak, and the last time I heard him talk about Allie Watt, he was gushing about her, which 
to, to which I say it's about time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know how the rest of these picks are going to turn out above the courage. I mean, Sophie Smith may be great and Weaver may be great. And Ashley Sanchez may be great, but I think Allie Watt is, is a really good player and she may fill a, she may end up filling a bigger role on this team, given especially given a need for squad rotation, uh, than they think. You know, they, Paul didn't like her going to Australia, but I watched her the f- three or four games she played, and she looked really good uh, in in making her pro debut. So she's she's a great combination of of, of speed and skill and smarts. She's a great passer. She she's not especially tall, but she knows how to get her head on the ball. Uh, I wish we had a full season so I could see her develop. That's the one. There's a lot of things I regret about this this season not happening. But from a courage <laughs> point of view, from a courage point of view, I really wanted to see how she would develop. Well, and I guess in a way, it's fortunate that she got some time playing in Australia's W League uh, because that probably aided her development in a way that she would have missed, you know, with with the shutdown. Right, and I, that was originally her intent. Uh, I think the the courage would have rather uh, initially wanted her in camp. I mean, she was she was going to miss about two or three weeks weeks of training camp, which for a rookie is a lot. Uh, but as it ended up playing out, yeah, it probably was a, a good thing on balance. So, last question for you, Neil. Uh, hopefully, this is a fun one for you. But who would you envision being North Carolina's opponent in the final? because I would go ahead and assume that you would predict that North Carolina would be in the final of the Challenge Cup. So who would you think their opponent would be? Uh, I mean, it's got to – oh, boy. I mean, it's, I mean, again, I begin, well, I mean, it's not a hard – I'm trying to come up with a, a non-easy decision because, again, thing, weird things can happen. You're, you're right. I mean – I've got tiebreakers, penalty kicks. Yeah, you know, shades I mean, of the 2016 be, Olympic quarterfinals. You never know. It's, it's got to be Chicago. It's got to be Chicago. Yes, they've all lost Sam Kerr, but there's a scenario where that it might not make them better because I mean, losing Sam Kerr is never a good thing on balance. But you know the the, the Chicago, had, you know they would slip into long ball forward mode a lot on occasion, just you know hit and hope and let Sam do her thing, and and the Chicago has a team of players that can play great team ball, and it, sometimes I think that they sort of you know gave that up or or had to give that up for the sake of the talent that they had at the top of the formation. Well, now you you still have a, a, a potentially talented uh, striker in Kalia Watt, who who can who can maybe regain her form, uh, but you still have a deep roster. Remember that that depth issue that I talked about for this tournament. Chicago has that, and they've got ex- and they're, they're a team that's been in the playoffs for at least the last three, maybe you know three years. They made the championship last year. They have championship medal from the U.S. Yeah. national team point of view. Uh, there's no reason why they, they – and, of course, Roy Dames is just a smart, good coach, and so he's coming in with some kind of a plan. So, you know, I, again, I said earlier that Portland was the wild card. They're either going to – I got a feeling they're either going to be really interesting or really not interesting. I'm just curious about <laughs> how it's going to play out, um, but which I guess makes them interesting either way. Uh, but, I mean, Chicago is built for this competition just like the Courage are. And so if they end up kind of on a collision course for the final, that's that's the way I see it. And with Chicago, defensively, they didn't lose anything, right? They're so strong defensively. So maybe that's the kind of thing that can get them through until their offense starts clicking. Because in addition to Kalia Watt, they also picked up Mackenzie Doniak and Rachel Hill. So, yeah, that'll be really yeah. interesting to watch. Well, Neil, Hill, thank Hill's, you so much Hill's for taking the addition, time. Yeah. Yeah, for taking the time to to talk about the courage and and the tournament and fingers crossed nothing else gets in the way from this point on. 
Thank you, Jen. I hope not. Time for a little Jen'splaining, and this one's kind of a repeat of a topic I talked about a few episodes back. Just wanted to review the standings procedure and tiebreaker order for the NWSL Challenge Cup now that we have the updated schedule and official rules and roster rules and all that stuff. Um, as a reminder, teams can take up to 28 players to Utah, minimum 22. It looks like most teams have taken 25, 26. Uh, all the players can suit up for every game and they can use up to five subs, which is a little bit different from an NWSL regular season game. Each team will play four games in the first round. Everybody advances to the knockout stage now that Orlando is out. So what you're fighting for in the first round is seeding for the knockout stage. Because in the knockout stage, top team will play the bottom team, number two will play seven, three will play six, four will play five. So you're fighting for the best seeding in the knockout round. You get three points for every win, one point for each tie. Any teams tied on points in the final standings, these are the tiebreakers they use first tiebreaker is head-to-head, which is a little strange for a first tiebreaker. It's only going to be used if just two teams are tied on points and those teams played each other in the first round, because obviously they didn't play. Can't use that that tiebreaker. Next tiebreaker will be goal differential. In other words, number of goals you scored minus (laughs) minus the number of goals you conceded. Next tiebreaker, total goal scored. Next tiebreaker, you can call it fair play points. You can call it yellow red card accumulation. It's basically a point system based on how many yellows, second yellows, straight reds that your team accumulated in the first round. And after that, if absolutely necessary, they still need a tiebreaker. It just goes to the fun old coin toss. So tournament kicks off this Saturday in Utah, hoping to have by the end of the week a downloadable Excel sheet so that you can plug in scores and the standings will automatically update so you don't have to think of all these crazy tiebreakers. But barring that, right now at least there is a downloadable PDF of the first round schedule. So at the very least you can see when the games are uh, and how to watch them. Right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Tyler Wynn with Rose City Review. Yeah, that means I'm talking to someone from Portland. Tyler, how is how are things in Portland? Oh, having a lovely day out here. It's nice and warm. Uh, and I'm really excited for the upcoming tournament to kick off. It's, it's shocking to me that it's uh, coming up so quickly. Yeah, it's been forever. And at the same time, it's like, oh, my God, it's happening this weekend. You know, set your DVRs. You know, sign up for CBS All Access or or, or Fubo like I do, like to do. I'm so excited that CBS Sports is replaying all the games, and so I can capture them, capture them on, on Fubo. Um, so I've been looking at the rosters as I've been you know preparing for this tournament, and it's it's weird to me how stacked and how thin the Portland roster seems at the same time. And I know that sounds really weird, but you know, obviously you've got these great names, right? Lindsay Horan, Christine Sinclair, right? Um, But with so many departures this season, it's, I think Portland is just in such a strange place. Like I'm, you know, I don't know what we're going to, what we're going to see when they take the field. But before we get into the nitty gritty of, uh, the, the current Portland roster. Talk to me about the Ellie Carpenter departure. You know, we got that news last week, a uh, big move for her to sign with uh, Leon in France. Um, surprising and not surprising, right? Like we've seen so many of the Australians leave the league this year, right? But I really didn't think Carpenter would be one of them when she had kind of re-upped with Portland earlier this year. Yeah, I didn't think she was going either. Um, At the end of the season, you know, right around the time that some of the contract extensions were getting announced, uh, you know, Gavin Wilkinson and Mark Parsons made a point of singling out Ellie Carpenter as somebody that they had signed to a long-term deal, somebody that they were invested in in the future, and, you know, somebody that they saw as being a part of the club for for a long time. But, I mean, 
Leon comes calling and there's not a lot of people out there in the world who say no to that. So, you know, it, it's exciting for her, you know, she's uh, opening a new phase in her career, but um, yeah, I mean, Portland are, it's, it's interesting, you know, Portland's attack, I think had really started to adapt to her style of play, you know, running up and down the wing uh, as a rampaging, rampaging fullback, like she does. Uh, she was a really important kind of deep threat for Portland and the, the style of play that Portland does play is going to probably change to respond to that. Right. Right. And, and I feel like, you know, Portland suffered somewhat, somewhat with her absences, you know, when she was injured towards the end of last season. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, You know, there, there are a lot of, different injuries on the Thorns last year. Uh, Gabby Siler was out for a long time. You know, we had a lot of kind of missing pieces down the stretch that were really important to the club. Um, but the what's interesting is that, you know, with, with Carpenter out, the kind of players that you slot into that position or that Portland does, it, cha- it's, it totally changes the style of play. You're looking at the first choice off the bench is, um, is going to be Catherine Reynolds. And she plays like a third center back essentially when she's in. So you have this kind of interesting situation where Portland is kind of playing a back three with Klingenberg mm-hmm. pushing really high up the field as a, as essentially an, another winger. And I mean, that's a, that's a pretty experienced and intelligent back line you're talking about there with Reynolds, Menges, and now Sauerbrunn, you know, that's, they're not the fastest in the world anymore. Uh, they're, they're getting up there a little bit, but, they're the really experienced brilliant. and and yeah, great vision yeah. on the ball. Absolutely, I mean they're all geniuses in their own way. Um, so I mean, it, again, it's just it's going to be different now for the Thorns, and it, you know we we knew going into the season that there were going to be a lot of changes. There was going to be some there was going to be some new stuff going on, but uh, I don't think anybody expected quite this much. So with with her departure and all the other you know names that that have left since last off the the end of last season, um, you know it, it seems to me that these the outliers as as you called them before we started rec- recording and just players who really had to hold down the fort for for Portland during the the World Cup window last year, but also some that we haven't seen much of because of injury, like they're going to be so crucial for this challenge cup. And and I'm thinking specifically of Gabby Seiler, who we barely saw her rookie season because she decided to stay at Florida basketball because she was a, you know, a two sport athlete. Um, And then last year was, was playing great and got injured. Uh, Kelly Hubley, who's been like that, consistently in the 18, right? Doesn't get a lot of minutes unless big names are gone. Uh, We saw the beginning of Simone Charlie last year, the beginning of Emily Ogle at the end of the season, obviously Tyler Lucy having a couple of really clutch goals. Um, And also, you know, I want to hear about Angela Salem, who's, who's one of a a select group of NWSL originals, you know, still playing from the 2013 season who we barely saw last season either. But I would imagine all of those players, in addition to, of course, the draft picks are going to be really crucial for the compressed schedule of the, the NWSL challenge cup. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, Portland is a club that I think has for a while now really prided itself on its development process. They bring in a lot of undrafted players into the team and they turn them into NWSL players. I mean, they they did that with Manashim back in the day. Uh, Celeste Bure was undrafted. And now, you know, you have uh, Matty Pogark, uh, who is a fullback, who the team kind of brought in last year. Uh, Simone Charlie as well, uh, another undrafted player. And Marissa Everett from the University of Oregon, who, you know, in her first five minutes of playing on the field for the Thorns scored a goal. Um, there's a lot of players waiting in the wings to make something happen. And they're, they're a hungry bunch of, of kids. They're, you know, they, I see the work that they put in on the field day in and day out. And it's, it's going to be exciting to see some of them hit the field. You know, I know that there aren't the kind of huge names that some fans really uh, wanted maybe earlier in the year when we were discussing uh, possible. But maybe they will be. <laughs> yeah, it's so entirely possible. Down the line. 
<laughs> it's entirely possible. Yeah. Not going to rule it out. So let's go through a couple of them here. I mean, Angela Salem, it, it's great uh, t- that you brought up Angela Salem, you know, an NWSL original. We saw her a couple of times on the field for the Thorns, only really a few times. And she looks very sharp in the few times that she she played. I mean, she obviously went down with an injury and missed a lot of last season. But she was on the sideline coaching for, you know, the season, the part of the seasons that she was out injured. Uh, you know, you can tell she's out there on the field really really smart player you know not afraid to go in for a tackle at all uh and she impressed herself on some other teams during her few minutes on the field so i'm excited to potentially see her come back with this shortened schedule i'm not sure where she is at in terms of her recovery same with gabby seiler as well Uh, you know gabby seiler another really impressive midfielder with a lot of uh a lot of positional flexibility you know she filled in at in defense uh, with the, the looming log jam in the, the thorns midfield, it's entirely possible. She may be called upon to, to deputize at, at right back. Uh, I mean, it, it's wild to think about all the players that Portland can play in midfield. I mean, it's, it's, it, you know, you have Haran and Sinclair that you can kind of rely on in the, as a core there. And, you know, they've brought in, Raquel Rodriguez, Gabby Seiler is waiting to return. She had a huge role there when she was uh, playing so well at the at the base of the midfield. We've still got Celeste Bure and Angela Salem. You know, that's a that's a lot of talent that is sitting around there waiting for their shot to to make an impression. So it's not gonna you know just because players are leaving, it's it it's not gonna be any less of a competitive training environment out there. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and it, and it's so easy to look at this and go, oh, yeah, you know, it's just 23 players. Like, well, only 11 start. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, so it yeah, it's still competitive. And sure, you can use up to five subs. That's still a lot of people, you know, not playing. I mean, as, as always, this remains, you know, such an incredibly competitive league. Um you know, tell me a little bit more about like, you know, Emily Ogle and, and also Marissa Everett, you know, more players that, you know, we just got a tiny glimpse of last year, but should see more time in this tournament. Yeah, I mean, the, the club is really high on both of these players, um, you know, Emily Ogle who, uh, you know, out of Penn State, really, really steady on the ball. And the few moments that we got to see her on the fields, uh, we we saw just we just got a little taste of uh, of what she's like uh, just in a, a few little instances, but you can tell you know she's got her head on a swivel in the midfield. She's really self aware. She knows what's happening, and she's she's going to try and and get in the right place to receive a pass. So that that's that's a different look for the Thorns in midfield. You know, somebody who is kind of finding space and uh, ready to kind of engage with other midfielders in order to, to release one of them. And it's one that could work out pretty well in some of these, uh, some of these instances. And she's obviously, you know, pretty recently familiar with the college format of this, uh, this cuff. (laughs) Yeah. I I think what's going to be a challenge for most of the clubs is just the change of format, right? Mm-hmm. It's not a long slog. It's not a week in, week out. It's a, a World Cup format. It's a College Cup format. It's a youth tournament format. However, however you want to look at it. Um, and yeah, with College Cup without team, without the in-game subs, so it's yeah, it's pretty different. And, and each team plays four games. You don't play all the other teams. It's going to be on points. I mean, think about it. If the regular season were only four games long, right? Each of those points is so incredibly valuable. And beyond that, goal scored as well, right? Um, I, I, I do find the the tiebreakers to be a little bit wonky that it starts with head-to-head when you may not have played the other team, you know, right? So that's why I'm like, why should you start with goal differential, right? Uh, right. But so it's head-to-head if the teams have played, then goal differential, then total goals scored. Then it's, you know, how, as they call it in the World Cup, fair play points, where it's just a calculation based on how many yellows and reds you have. And then it, you know, goes, goes to a coin toss. But we could really see 
goal differential and even total goals scored come into play in a way that we've never seen in the NBSL regular season. Because playing 20, 22, 24 games obviously spreads the field in a way that playing four mm. <laughs> doesn't. And then when you think about having uh, up to three games for the the knockout stage, again, in, right. in you know, just a little bit over a week and, and no overtime, no extra time. So you've got the, the wacky variability of penalty kicks. It, it, this could be a roller coaster ride. Oh yeah. I'm, and personally, I mean, I know this is, this may be controversial, but I kind of enjoy a good penalty kick shootout and there's only <laughs> ever been one in the NWSL. So I want to know how some of these players are going to respond to that pressure. You know, we, we yeah, it's it's the kind of thing they're great to watch. You don't want to have oh, to yeah. be on one of the teams that that loses, right? But from a spectator's point of view, no, I'm I'm the same way. I I wouldn't wish them on anybody who's playing, but yeah, oh, no. love to watch they're them. Totally captivating, <laughs> and I feel like you can kind of see into people's souls when they step up for a penalty kick in a shootout. You know, you really learn a lot about people then. <laughs> I, True. I do, I do want, I, True. Oh, <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about Marissa Everett, though, because uh, you know okay. she made such a she made such a huge impact uh, coming on for her first NWSL minutes and getting a goal. Sort of five minutes later, um, that obviously sticks in the mind of a lot of Portland fans. But I mean, it, I think she only played something like thirty minutes, most of it in stoppage time last season. But she got four shots on goal in that time, and. Uh, that you says know, a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And it, one of the shots on goal was a, a shot right to the bottom of, a, I think it was a header to the bottom of Kaylin Sheridan's goal away at Sky Blue that she had to go and dig out. So, I, I mean, you know, she, you can tell she's raw. She's uh, definitely still working on her game. But she's, you know, the, the forwards that the Thorns have waiting in the wings are really eager. And they're they're you know, you can tell they're itching to get out there and make an impact, which of course brings me on to Tyler Lucy, who's always, always hyped up for an appearance. And I feel like we may see a lot more of her this, uh, this tournament than we have in previous, previous seasons. You know, she's had a couple of really impressive goals. Uh, I, I was it against Houston where she scored that one from, uh, yes. yeah, 30 yards away. Uh, yes, last June. Yeah, was that was that a game winner? Actually, I I can't even remember. Or, or no, well, well, I yeah yeah I think that was a game winner, and she, mm. then she had the game winner, just like two weeks later in the you know the game against Orlando that four crazy four three game at Portland. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. so just, she, she was kind of on fire. She does have a knack for the big moment, Tyler Lucy, and just uh, <laughs> I love I always love telling this story about Tyler Lucy um, from training. Because, uh, you know, at Thorns training, it's not an uncommon thing for after people are kind of finished with training, the big name players will go and line up and, and try and do like a, a crossbar challenge from the top of the box. So, you know, they'll try and hit a, hit the crossbar standing at the top of the box. Uh, Haran's always there. Sinclair's always there. Heath is always there. And the I, I saw Andresenyuk step up a few times there, but the only other player who I saw ever step up to that line to put themselves in that mix was Tyler Lucy. So wow, yeah, yeah, she is not afraid of anything. <laughs> like she's gonna go up and uh, <laughs> you put her on the field, and she's gonna go and and try and try and prove a point, you know. Oh, well, and that's what you need in in the rookies and the second year players with not a lot of minutes and and the up and comers is, you know, people with the hot spot to, to to challenge the as I was saying, you know, the Christine Sinclair, Lindsay Horan, Becky Sauerbrunn, right? Like 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 the yeah. big names because the way Indiesel works, you know it's almost impossible to have a roster that's all big names, right? So, so that second tier is just as important, especially as we keep coming back to that compressed schedule for the, for the challenge cup. Um, And that's why I'm really excited to see some of these players where we only got a hint of them last year. And, you know, when, when I'm looking at rosters or I'm updating my almanac or something like that, I'm always like, Oh, that's, you know, what, what must that be like to, you know, you train the whole season and you just get these little tidbits 
on the field where, okay, I got eight minutes in this game and I got 20 minutes on this game, you know, but, but we know there's more, right. We know that those are players who in college were playing the entire game and, and, you know, so that, so I would think they would look at this opportunity as yes, I'm going to get serious minutes. Oh yeah. Yeah. No doubt about it. And, you know, and that's, I think it's a credit to the culture that Portland has that, you know, it doesn't really seem like any of them are scared. You know, I never get that sense from, from any player up and down the roster, you know, uh, there are obviously braver players than others, but, uh, yeah, they're, they're all, you know, everybody's equal in a a training session is the impression that I've always gotten from them. Uh, I haven't even gotten to Simone Charlie. There's so many of these players to get to. I'm sorry about this. (laughs) That's okay. Uh, Keep going. I mean, you know, Simone Charlie, if you, I would definitely recommend people go back and watch that game uh, at home against Chicago during the World Cup season last year. I mean, that's Midge Purse's real, like one of her breakout games. Uh, But I mean, Simone Charlie is the is a sh- just shockingly good in that game. I, I mean, Portland is sitting back and kind of playing Chicago on the break because they're they've lost so many players to the World Cup, and on the break, I mean, Charlie is just like uh, she's almost like uh, it's unfathomable what she's able to do. She's so fast in a sprint, and she's got really impressive ball control. I don't think anybody really saw it coming when she broke out in the way that she did. You know, other than the people at the club, I didn't even see it coming to that extent. <laughs> like it, nobody really knew, you know, how good on the ball she was. And uh, you know, I think uh, <laughs> she had. I seem to remember her having like two nutmegs in her first ever game away at Sky Blue. And then she had three uh, in her next game uh, against Chicago, uh, you know, setting up purse twice. Uh, she's got a lot to work on as a player. You know, she's she, her shot. She looks just like not 100% comfortable um, finishing last year. But I, I mean, she looked like she has almost everything else in her locker. Like <laughs> it's it was kind of incredible the the really explosive moments that she, she got thrown on the field last year. And it, it really sticks in the memory. <laughs> well, and one of the, the, I think the advantages for the younger players, especially maybe the rookies is they're not going to have to deal with what we've seen sometimes in a rookie where they hit maybe four, five months in this into the season. And that's normally when their college season would be over. Right. And they, they start kind of wearing down physically because they just in the past, they haven't trained to play as long of a season. Right. right and they're yeah. not going to have to worry about that for this. So, so tell me what you think about the number one and number two overall picks, of course, Portland being greedy and, and getting both of them. Um, so Sophia Smith coming out of Stanford early and, and Morgan Weaver um, out of Washington state, you know, leading her team to their first ever final four. Um, and, and of course, both attacking players, right? Right. Yeah. So they're both going to, they're both going to see really important minutes. It's, it's going to be, a, you know, as rookies, they're going to be put into a really important position for the club just because of the, the departures, you know, Haley Razzo leaving as well earlier in the off season, as well as Caitlin Ford for a, a full Australian departure. So they're going to be put into a pretty important role. And I, 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 you know, I haven't seen as much of them up close and personal, of course, but you know, I think by all accounts, Sophia Smith is one of those players who, you know, Mark Parsons really kind of, you know, this is his ideal player. You know, somebody who is who is strong and fast and good with the ball at her feet. You know, I mean, that's that's really, you know, all the boxes checked as a winger, as a wild a white player, and as somebody who can shoot the ball as well. You know, she's her settling in and and becoming comfortable with a team quickly is going to be really important to the fortunes of the the Portland Thorns this year, which is, I mean, it's shocking for them to be relying on a rookie so much, but at the same time, you know, they've, they've done it before. They've thrown Emily Sonnen into the fire before and she turned out. Okay. Right. Uh, And, and it's funny that she was the player that they traded away uh, to, to get this pick. Right. But like we, we've seen Portland has never been shy about, you know, trading, to make a big move like that, right? Like, yeah, take taking the risk. 
Definitely, definitely. And they took they took a pretty big risk this year. They, you know, they got off a lot of their a lot of their core players to bring in the top two picks. Morgan Weaver, again, you know, another strong player. Uh Portland uh, and Mark Parsons in particular love their bulldog wingers. They love players who can get up and down the line, who can really, you know, who can play really aggressively on the wing. And I think she's gonna be a perfect fit for the club in that sense. Uh and again, you know, another player who really prospered in a, a tournament environment. I'm excited to see what she can bring in this tournament as well. And so, you know, so many young players, um, you know, great energy to have. How do you think they've been dealing with the, you know, the lack of a preseason where you get to play other teams and start to really team bond? Or, or, or do you think maybe uh, the, the shutdown and the quarantine is something that help them bond you know i i don't know the extent to which the shutdown has helped them bond you know i i did enjoy hearing about the kind of team activities that uh parsons was assigning his players he uh i don't know if you heard about this but he uh told all his players to pick two players from the world of soccer that uh, to research and do a little book report on so <laughs> nice i thought that was nice. i thought that was very enjoyable um, <laughs> do we get to see those book reports I hope so. I mean, I, I definitely recommend asking players about it if uh, if you get the chance to. I love it's that. A, I yeah, love that. I, <laughs> I thought that was great. Uh, but I mean, really, you know, because the team hasn't brought in too many new players, you know, they're, they we let some players go, but they're integrating a couple of players. But a lot of these players are pretty comfortable with each other. You know, they spent a lot of time together in training last year. Uh, you know, most of them have been around for a, a year before as well, even if it's just on the fringes as a, a non-rostered player. I mean, Simone Charlie was a, a non-rostered player for a, a year before she signed a contract here. And I think as a result of that, you know, there's there's a strong bond in the core of the team. Uh, and weirdly, by not bringing anybody in, you know, that may end up serving them all right because they already kind of know how to play with each other. It's just a... It's just the the number one and number two pick uh, of the college draft that they have to learn how to play with. <laughs> and that and that's a really good point. It's not a lot of new players coming in. It's the same core having lost some players and just a few new players coming in. Well, Tyler, thank you so much for taking the time to talk Portland Thorns and thanks for your coverage on Rose City Review and fingers crossed we'll we'll, we'll get games back in places other than Utah sooner rather than later. All right, time to wrap it up with the back four. This weekend, finally, we have the kickoff of the NWSL Challenge Cup. Opening match will be Saturday, this June 27th, airing live on CBS, the regular broadcast network, as well as CBS All Access. And it'll also be on Twitch for international viewers, i.e. those outside USA and Canada. The championship match is also going to be on CBS. Everything on CBS All Access and Twitch, like I mentioned. Keep in mind, CBS All Access, just like $6 a month. Uh, 23 games for $6 a month. It's a pretty good deal. And keep an eye on NWSLsoccer.com for, you know, stats, tournament updates. Of course, we already had the schedule change with Orlando pulling out. Uh, So you can check on KeeperNotes.com for an updated first-round schedule to download. And I'm hoping by the end of the week to have a downloadable Excel file where you can plug in the tournament scores and it'll automatically update the standings. Also, to prep for the tournament, if you want to get caught up on all of the team rosters, you can check out the Keeper Notes Google Sheet of Rosters by Club. It's accessible from the Woso Nerd Links at KeeperNotes.com. Lots of other fun resources there. And while you're getting ready for the tournament, be sure to check out all the new NWSL player profiles and tournament preview at BGN.FM. That's the site that hosts this podcast, a.k.a. the Beautiful Game Network. Also, leading up to this weekend, we will finally know who will host the 2023 Women's World Cup. It's down to two bids. It's either going to be in Colombia, which would be the first time South America hosts a Women's World Cup, or it'll be the joint bid of Australia, New Zealand, 
meaning it'll be the first time that an Oceania or Oceania, Oceania, I think it's Oceania, uh, nation, uh, gets to host the world cup and definitely first time for the continent of Australia to, uh, host a world cup. Last, uh, don't forget, lots of fun items for sale if you click on store at keepernotes.com, including the NWSL Almanac and the Houston Dash Almanac. Comprehensive league stats, club historical data, photos, all kinds of fun stuff you can't find anywhere else. All right, that's it for this episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. Big thanks to our sponsor, IcarusFC.com. Good place to go if you're tired of the same old uniforms and cookie cutter templates from Nike and Adidas. You can get a completely custom kit for your adult rec team or your kids team or even a pro team. So check out IcarusFC.com. Many thanks to all the listeners, all the people that tweet about this or tell their friends about this podcast. I really appreciate it. And most of all, thanks to Sean and the Beautiful Game Network for making this podcast possible. But now she's everybody's good.